If Murray had supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> America's Blubbity Blah. The Blubbity Blah. Sending out good vibes. Have you considered the possibility maybe that this that this religion is a drug cult? Uh, you know, how would that change your perception of what this religion is, you know, and how you live your life according to it? Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. We are going to be chatting with Adam Drissy a little bit later, a.k.a. Aeon Animus from the chats. I don't know if he's in the new chats yet. No, I don't. I don't know. I don't think so. He's in the old chats. Is the old chat still a thing? He was. I meant. I think. Is there still a violin room? What's that for? I think Ryan left a violin room so people like, who just didn't want to give it up could go in there and chat. Anyway, his name's Aeon Animus in the chats. Adam Drissy. The book is Eden and Entheogens, and a bunch of other stuff. Great book. Fantastic yeah. chat. Bit mind blowing. I mean, we're kind of used to it around here by now, but um, there seems to be something to it. Definitely something to that psychedelics. What's the rest of the book title? <clears throat> I think psychedelic history from the Bronze Age to the nineteen sixties, something like that. Ancient psychedelics. I wonder. Uh, I wonder if we'll do a sequel from the sixties to yeah, the two thousand. Well, he is. He's doing another one for sure. Um, yeah, that's what the title is. Nailed it. Fantastic book, fantastic chat. You guys should enjoy this. Adam's quite, uh, I, I think we were probably his first interview, eh? Yeah, I think so, yeah. We get all the firsts. Yeah. Fantastic first. Of course, that comes a little bit later after our lazy ramblings. Um, we've got, well, we did want to mention on the other podcast, Outlawed. We had, as far as Speaking I know, firsts. Ben Grundy's first interview. He came on the Outlawed show, did that with us, turned out fantastic, 100% worth. Ben's from Mysterious Universe. Yeah, Mysterious Universe, mysteriousuniverse.org. Fantastic podcast, probably the podcast that got us started podcasting. And definitely the podcast we like aspired to emulate in an audio standpoint anyway. Yeah, which is and professionalism and all. I mean, yeah. they're very professional. They're good podcasters. They're it, the best. They're top notch. They're the best. Yeah, some of yeah. the best podcasters on the planet, yeah. for sure. And this was one of the best episodes on the planet. I mean, we've had a lot of good feedback so far. People are like, wow, that was fantastic. Yeah, I would have to say it's probably in the top five podcast chats of all time, my opinion, that I've listened to or participated in. And uh, it's definitely worth checking out. If you guys want to check that out over at GrammericaOutlaw.ca, it's episode number six, ten, I think. Ten? Plus, uh, it's 10 for plus and six for regular. Oh, okay. So you guys can go listen to the free one anyway and decide if it's worth the plus. That's up to you. GrammericaOutlaw.ca. Anyway, it is a fantastic chat. It is really, really top notch. We did get a ton of good feedback on that. Yeah. It's great. Actually, I've been... 
And that it worked out great because then Ben and I have been talking all weekend about how to change some things around here and trying to spruce up the, always trying to spruce up the audio. I feel like we got, I got carried away on the video stuff and left the audio in the winds for a little bit. Well, no, I, I think it's still been pretty good, but we, we had to, we had to fix our audio for other people. Cause when we were going on other shows, it wasn't the same. I mean, it's difficult cause you got to have it good for a bunch of different things. But I mean, I appreciate what you've done this weekend on the studio. You redid the whole studio with the new table and new table, new camera, new all this stuff. So yeah, thanks. Sounds good. Right Does now, sound anyways, pretty good. it sounds good right now. I think sounds pretty good. I would have to say. Speaking of feedback, we got a ton of good feedback on the Stephen Strong episode. Do you want me to read some of that? Sure. Just from Instagram, which we might be canceled off fairly soon, but. Um, well, I might as well play the jingle. Okay. Bingo, bingo, social media jingle. Don't forget to rate, comment, and or subscribe to the Grime America newsletter. So, uh, Solo Floyo said this, listening, listen to this one three times through such an awesome interview. Faye Birkbeck says, amazing podcast guys. Beast of Burden podcast says, I love this episode. Lots to reflect on. Also love the cover art. My soul longs to travel to Uluru. I've had dreams of this place. Only hope that I will someday be able to travel there and see it and experience what it is I'm supposed to. We'll definitely be listening to this one. Thanks, Grimerica, for always lending a hand and leading us forward. That was from Colton Co. Cabbage Patch. Cabbage Paps is uh, this is one of those rare ones I listened to twice and inspired me to throw an extra donation your way. Good. No, great episode. And then I am Chris Wilson said what he said. <laughs> so yeah, that was a, it. Was a good one. Fantastic. Um, Makes me want to do more of those spiritual type ones. We have we have a, a good interview coming up with um, Abducted and Furious, and I've had quite a few little personal synchronicities with that book, so it should be interesting. I'll go on to the YouTubes. Okay. We got, uh, this is my new favorite podcast, just subbed with the monthly dono. Happy to found you guys. Nice. Welcome. We got... The Vatican needs to be meticulously torn to its foundations down to the bedrock. Thank you guys for speaking up on the guy who wrote about addiction but didn't have a clue about being addicted. And thanks for just being here. You guys have helped me more than you know. Uh, the only conspiracy cons on the George debate. Yeah, people still watching the Pardos debate. The only conspiracy, conspiracy theorist I see is in the conversation is George. At least six times in this, he insults mothers, a specific woman named Brenda, by saying they have no right to a seat at the table if they cannot pass a 300-level biology class. How insulting to say that a parent of a vaccine-injured child is not allowed a voice. If these people in labs and regular positions would do their jobs, the parents would not be screaming. This issue is not going away until it gets fixed and people aren't going to be quiet. Would love to know if Dell ever heard from George again. I think we're going to have Dell on again soon. Yeah, so that, we'll I don't him. remember that. I don't remember that him mentioning that kind of stuff there on that. That was quite a while ago. 
Oh, yeah, that was a long but, time ago. But I agree that it's only it's not going to go away because of people that have been injured by vaccines or had their family members been injured by vaccines. I think Dell's going to come on outlawed. Good. Speaking of vaccine injuries, I mean, this is what's getting us canceled. I mean, yeah, Redbubble, you you just backed right out of our our uh, our swag shop because they're like, well, they they're starting to you know. Inspect our inventory, basically. It's not inventory, but it's like our catalog because of uh, vaccine stuff in there. So, I mean, that's just ridiculous. We can't even talk about what's against the narrative of Big Pharma and the media. It's getting really bad. Instagram posts are starting to get taken down now. We've had a really big, and your Twitter got taken down for now. It's back up, I guess. But Twitter's back. But yeah, there was a there was a little shadow band. Yeah. Just said they're shadow banning us. Oh, that's right. That was the other one. Yeah. Yeah. So it's getting really, really bad. But we do have a new swag shop and it's awesome. So yeah. Grandamerica.ca slash swag. Take you to the new shop. You can buy the plus episodes there, or at least you'll be able to. I'm kind of confirming some copyright on them right now. So they're slowly going to start appearing there. And then that'll be, so if you have someone that maybe wants to listen to a one-off episode, but doesn't want to sign up for plus, you can send them in the store and they can buy the episodes there one of we also got some other cool stuff there like ringtones and what are those things called that go around your neck gators we got neck gators Lanyards? no gators oh. no that's a noose oh the neck oh, gator yeah, things yeah, yeah, yeah. so we got yeah. neck gators there now also those aren't allowed though apparently right why why did they disallow gators anyways no, i don't know you can put a cloth i think they're allowed mask most across places. your face but they disallowed gators somewhere disallowed? i think texas no. disallowed them I don't think Texas Maybe gives a bandit. Fuck I think they're too bandit-looking. Anyway, we got gators there. We also got tons of masks. You can now just go to grandamerica.ca slash masks, and that'll just take you to a whole page with like 30 different masks. Or you can go grandamerica.ca slash swag. There's a ton of different shirts, sweatshirts, you name it. The exciting thing about the new shop is once we sell enough gear, then they're going to unlock hats and toques. So... Maybe if you guys go buy enough stuff, we could be pretty close to having hats and toques unlocked. We can finally get custom Grimerica hats and toques and whatever else. I think you can do like iPhone buttons and stuff too, but that seems complicated. Anyway, what do you got? Should I read that Hopi prophecy? I did get it sent back to us in an email. Is it long? Okay, here. um, Maybe I should because it's really really interesting. It was in the Stephen... Uh, strong episode. Remember his his wife, I think it was, came out and read the Hopi prophecy, which is fantastic. I mean, so I'll read this email and then we'll decide. Okay, sounds good. Got an email feedback. If you want to do a jingle for email. And now another edition of the Grime American Goodies by the people. All the people. Darren and Graham. I just listened to your guys' chat with Stephen Strong. Powerful stuff. It resonates with me and my experiences. The solstice especially was very special indeed. I had a meditation with my didgeridoo and a little fire on a beach in Vancouver. Incredible things happened and there was definitely a shift. Vibrating higher since then and I feel that everything is changing. Our DNA is changing positively and exponentially. I have some reports for you guys I will send in via email. I'm also sending a package. We have a P.O. Box, America.ca slash contact. There's a P.O. Box number on there. Sorry I've procrastinated on the package sending, but it'll be worth the wait. Look out for a parcel from Sammy McElroy. 
Anyways, I whipped this out when Buddy's wife read the Hopi prophecy. Did I say that wrong? Hopi? Hopi? I think why did that's that sound, right. Why did I just, it didn't sound right. I have stat. So this is interesting. Anyways, I whipped this out when Buddy's wife read the Hopi prophecy. I have, I've had it. I have it stashed since the summer. Well, an elder gave it to me at a sweat in the Kootenays. Exciting times ahead. Much love to you two heroes. Sorry I called you moose fuckers on the Fandango episode and I ignored your friends. Technical difficulties resulted in censorship of a rambling Irish fanboy. Actually, it wasn't even censorship. It, you could just couldn't hear both sides. So we had to we had to cut that up a bit. At least the full ridiculousness is still on them tube. Thank you for everything you do. You are appreciated. Warriors like you two are in short supply in this tyrannical world. Blessings to ye. I'll be in touch. Ian, thank you. And I'm going to read that, that Hopi prophecy thing. Right now? Yeah. All right, let's hear it. You have been telling people that this is the 11th hour. Now you must go back and tell the people that this is the hour and there are things to be considered. Where are you living? What are you doing? What are your relationships? Are you in the right relation? Where's your water? Know your garden. It is time to speak your truth. Create your community. Be good to each other. And do not look outside yourself for your leader. Then he clasped his hands together and smiled and said, This could be a good time. There's a river flowing now very fast. It is so great and swift that there are those who will be afraid. They will try to hold on to the shore. They will feel they are being torn apart and will suffer greatly. Know the river has its destination. The elders say we must let go of the shore, push off into the middle of the river. Keep your eyes open and our heads above the water. And I say, see who is in there with you and celebrate. At this time in history, we are to take nothing personally, least of all ourselves. For the moment that we do, our spiritual growth and journey come to a halt. The time of the lone wolf is over. Gather yourselves. Banish the word struggle from your attitude and your vocabulary. All that we do now must be done in a sacred manner and in celebration. We are the ones we've been waiting for. Hopi Elders Prophecy, June 8th, 2000. 2000? Yeah. Oh, so that was even before 9-11. Yeah. Pre-9-11 But I mean, how how awesome is that? Like, just don't wait for a leader, right? Nobody's going to save you. It's up to us. Save yeah. yourselves. Work on yourself. Work on your tribe. Get together with people. Be honest. Authentic. Yeah, there you have it. it. Fantastic. Thanks, Ian. That's great. Ian, thanks, Ian. I don't think that's the same. I thought that was the same one at first, but I don't think. It's very similar, I think. Or was it not the same one? I don't know. It sounded similar, but I think it's it different. pretty similar. I, uh, thought the, I thought the one that Stephen and, and his wife talked about was um, from recent times, but maybe I'm... 2000 is pretty recent. No, like really recent, like oh. since the pandemic. Speaking of us getting kicked off of stuff, that's a good reason to check out grammarica.ca slash social. Join the Mastodon instance. Uh, check out grammarica.ca slash chats. Join the Matterbros chats. Those are the places we won't get uh, censored from, I guess. Yeah, yeah. There's also the newsletter, grammarica.ca slash news. You yeah. sign up for that. And, <laughs> and the audiobook page. I mean, there, there's a great oh, yeah. way to support us, too. Like, you've gone and made this audiobook page. It's basically a landing page, our website for our audiobooks. 
Then it takes you to Audible, and it links to some of them. So it's some it's some it's some books that we've we've uh, we've done for other people, but there's also some that we've produced ourselves that Darren's edited and published on Audible ourselves. There are Secret Societies of All Ages and Countries, Volume One and Two, and Esoteric Meaning of the Alphabet, and something else spiritual. The Essentials of Spirituality, Felix Adler. Yeah. And then the Secret Doctrines in Review and God Man's in Review. So we'll have yeah. six there right away. So if yeah. you're looking for something to do with those audible credits, yeah. check out uh, adultbrain.ca or grandamerica.ca slash audiobook. I think yeah. books get you there too, I think. We're getting better. Some of those are early working. So they, you know, we've improved since then, but you could always leave a good review. That'll help. The Secret Society ones are much better for sure. Yeah. Yeah, check that out. Of course, check out the support page. We do still, you know, we do still run this show, 100% value for value. Uh, if, you, if you're getting some value from, I think this will be like 478 or 479 or something. Free podcasts all back there for free. The chats, the socials, all that stuff. We just do it because, uh, I don't know, it just sort of came along and seemed like it needed doing. Um, but it all does cost money and it all does cost time. And if you're getting a little value from the show, you can let us know what the show is worth to you at grimerica.ca slash support in the form of a one-time donation or a or a monthly. And uh, if you are listening to Outlawed and you want to do a plus subscription over there and you can't maintain both, we understand that. We, uh, we get it. If you can do both, fantastic. We do kind of treat them as two completely different podcasts, but... Uh, Totally understand if you want to get that plus content and you don't want to maintain two subscriptions. Um, hey, at least we're still getting paid either way. So uh, we get it if that's the way you want to do it. But, you know, that kind of opens up another way to support the show. And we should ideally be doing one of those avenues if you're getting some value from the podcast to put some value back our way so we can keep you know, growing free. and expanding and staying ad free and all that fantastic stuff. Staying in control of our own content. All because of you guys. I got a quote here if you want to go through that. A quote? Want me to finish off with a quote? Well, what about the oppo? Oh, yeah, I got an op too. You want to do the quote first? Yeah, whatever you want. Whatever you want. Whichever jingle I find first, I guess. Yeah, sure. All right, it's going to be the, uh, looks like it's going to be the oppo. Nope, quote. I probably shouldn't do this one. I need to find, I need to find like a book with more like spiritual and enlightenment quotes. Cause <laughs> this Charlie Robinson one is just going to get us banned. Like, nah. I can't go through here and find something that's not heavy. It's I all heavy. Think you think they're going through this the audio? I think they're looking well, at like the you notes. Know, just, so this is Islamabad 2011. Oh, my God. You ready for this? Oh, my God. So I read an article about this in the Outlawed app, too. That not about this specifically, but about polio vaccines in general. Have you put that one out yet? Yes. The polio one? Yeah. So there's also some article reads in Outlawed, Grammarica Outlawed, which is, is a good way to... Uh, Listen to articles instead of reading them. So a government inquiry has found that polio vaccines for infants funded by the Global Alliance for Vaccination and Immunization, which is Gavi, are causing deaths and disabilities in regional countries, including Pakistan. 
The startling revelation is part of an inquiry report prepared by the Prime Minister's Inspection Commission, PMIC, on the working of the expanded program on immunization, EPI. The PMIC, headed by Malik Amjad Noon, has recommended that Prime Minister Yusuf Razagalani immediately suspend administration of all types of vaccines funded by the Gavi. Jeez. Yeah, that's crazy, eh? I'm trying to figure out who said that. Hmm. Charlie Robinson, if no one else. Crazy, crazy, crazy. All right. You're going to get into the oppo now? Yes. Let's do it. You got an oppo? Yep. Operation Project, Project Operation. What's that noise? Looks military to me. Definitely military. Probably classified, too. Dish fire. Prism. Sentry Eagle. Sigma. Mannerkin. Artichoke. MK Ultra. Operation Project. All right, so this is called, have you heard of this? It's called uh, Operation Game Over. No, I have not. You have not heard of it? Uh, The Hillsborough County Sheriff announces Operation Game Over, and it's a whole bunch of human trafficking arrests. 75 people were charged with soliciting or selling sex as part of this county sheriff's office investigation during Super Bowl week. What do you need to know? Three men charged with human trafficking. Investigation targeted massage parlors, hotels, motels, online chat rooms. Three men were charged with human trafficking, the sheriff announced. Undercover undercover deputies were... We're targeting these places that we talked about already. The people arrested were ranged from 19 to 73. The sick, here's a quote, the sickening practice of human trafficking is a crime that is nothing less than modern day slavery. Chronister said, escaping the wrath of a trafficker takes courage and in some cases is nearly impossible. For this reason, we have not and will not relent in our efforts to stop the demand and we are accomplishing this one arrest at a time. See, there was five adult victims, all women. They were identified and rescued. A 17-year-old girl was also rescued. So, fantastic. See, it's this is the difficult part, right? It's it's about the the oldest profession in the book in the world, right? Which is so it, it straddles that line between. Women should have the right to sell their bodies if they want, prostitution and all that. But there's a real fine line between not knowing whether people are being trafficked and forced into it or not. Like what he says here is individuals who buy sex, whether they know it or not, may be exploiting a human trafficking victim for their own pleasure. Those who offer sexual services may be doing it against their will, and then arrest may be their only chance at freedom. I think if it was legal, it would have way less problems. Exactly. That's the problem. Just just like fucking drugs, right? The war on sex, the war on drugs. When you have to go into like a little shop or be accredited or have a business license, then it's just like less likely to be trafficked. Yeah, exactly. I think. But that's why they keep it illegal. I mean, honestly. 
I mean, Ben gets into that in, in the uh, in the Grand America Outlawed that we just put out, Ben Grundy, about China and the, and the organ harvesting and the uh, monitoring they're doing in the camps. I mean, it gets pretty crazy. So when it's happening at that level, you know, you never know who's involved. Never know. How Anyways. was the drive to Saskatchewan and back? No trouble at the border? No, there's no border. It's fine. Just <laughs> Never even noticed. I, I heard my thought Manitoba was locking down. I seen something about BC locking down. Really? Oh yeah. I I, I mean, from what I can see so far, I think Alberta's going to open wide up, and people are going to be pissed. That's my hope. Alberta's going to be like Canada's Florida. Hopefully, we should be embracing that. I know. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Go dude. for it. Oh yeah. Be this Canada's is Florida. Try and drive out. We'll have a super stampede. There's I just no heard, place else to go. Super stampede. I just heard a great. Great episode with Tom Woods and and the guy, one of the guys that uh, is an investigator, talking about the how crazy this is. How you you know the truth is being taken off the internet and taken off these platforms, and they're allowed to propagate lies and 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 what they call science, which is really just pseudoscience. It's disgusting what's happening. Yeah, I and would, our governments uh, and all our local governments are are they're just complicit. They're willfully blind to the point of complicity. Well, not only that, they're actively they're actively involved. It would seem they're definitely involved in locking us down. Yep, yep. And there's no evidence to say that really works. In fact, there's evidence to show that it doesn't. And the masks. I mean, the whole thing. I mean, we don't want to get. This is kind of why we started the outlaw too, because we're going to leave this this feed a little bit less about the. That kind of stuff. The technocratic takeover and us venting about COVID all the time, but. We do that in Outlaw, and here we just chill, talk yeah. about Aeon Animus' book yeah. and that kind of fun stuff, read the emails, do all that sort of lovely things. Happy Valentine's Day. We are recording this on Valentine's Day. You too, buddy. Happy, not you. I was talking to the listeners. Oh, but. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think that's about it. It is the long weekend, so we'll keep it short. Get out of here. Uh, we hope you enjoy this fabulous chat with Adam Drillis? Drissy? Drissy. Adam Drissy. Sorry, Adam. I still want to just call you Aeon all the time because that's how I know you. All right. We love you. Enjoy the chat. Tonight we've got uh, Adam Drissy with us. He's uh, the author of Eden and Entheogens, fantastic tome on psychedelics all the way through the Bronze Age to, what, the 1860s or something like that? You had a date in there? (laughs)
going to the 1960s. 1960s I'm halfway yeah, done. Yeah, yeah. So this is like, this is the first half of it. I'm writing the other half. Are you really? Still, You're going so. for the other half, eh? Wow. That was, so this yeah. one was quite a tome. I mean, I, personally, it was, it was fun to read because I'm, maybe it's just because I'm more interested in this type of ancient culture and all that. And I, I never even could imagine that psychedelics were, were back then. And now it seems like there's more evidence coming out that, you know, psychedelics have been around for thousands of years and, not only that, yeah. but just the culture, like our history is so sort of different than what we learned in school. So I'm kind of ready for this because you had the, a lot of the Bible stuff in there, a lot of the mythological stuff and the temples and the myth, uh, the megalithic cultures. And uh, I like how you approached it from all kinds of angles. You know, you even had the uh, expanding earth from Neil Adams in there. I mean, I love yeah. that. Yeah. Interestingly, yeah. this is all like stuff i've been considering today yeah I was actually, well i was thinking about you because he was he, you mentioned rome too and how rome didn't necessarily i've been big on rome i've been talking about rome for the last couple of days i me and a me and a co-worker listened to the first randall carlson on joe rogan today and got into some of that stuff i got a little my cosmography bit. shirt on and then we randall were we because at some point in that interview um he talks about joe, bell becker they talk about bell beck in there and then well yeah, I think they do talk about Belbeck. And then Omar's from Lebanon, so that's what mostly got us talking about Belbeck and moving the rocks. And we were talking about how if you try to move a 300-ton rock on fucking logs, it crushes the log or just breaks it or sinks oh, it into really? whatever you're trying to roll it on. Because he's right. an engineer, too, so it's it's good to have those kinds of conversations with him. But yeah, And then we it, were also talking about how, because Joe talks about how he went up to the top of the whatever in Hawaii, the Keck Observatory there, and how just... Mm -hmm. Like, it was one of the most memorable experiences of his life. And just, like, seeing that was, like, more, almost more of a psychedelic experience than the, his psychedelic experiences, which is something to consider. Because up until a few hundred years ago, that's all everybody saw every night. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of, I don't know, there's a whole lot of interesting, you know, places in the world. And, you know, I kind of my book is kind of like obsessively focused on like the Bible and places that are in the Bible. But I mean, there's, I mean, there's all kinds of interesting cultures, all kinds of interesting places that you can go. And yeah, like going out to Hawaii, you can actually see the stars and you can see things because it's not light polluted like it is out here in mainland America. But yeah. yeah. So did you, cause the other thing I liked about it is you had all these ancient maps in there too. Cause for some reason that Mediterranean sure. area, fascinates me going back thousands of years whatever all that activity from yeah. from the uh the 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 gibraltar the straits of gibraltar all the way over to i guess the the right eastern part of the middle east yep yeah. it's it, it's a really interesting uh yeah place in history because i mean well this is really where all of the whole temple complex culture emerges in in the bronze age really it's all like all, all around the mediterranean and it's pretty unique culture. Um, and there's a lot of like, uh, I don't know, there's a lot of, I think, really kind of biased views about the history of, of the Mediterranean. A very common view, for example, is um, that the Bible isn't real. It's a work of fiction. Um, and it, the things that are told in the Bible never happened. I take a pretty different approach in my book. Um, Yes, I know, Graham, you've read through the book. I was going to ask you too, Darren. I wasn't sure if you had had a chance to read any of it. I just kind of want to know where you're at, how much you've you've looked at, if you have. I'm the guy on the street. 
Oh, okay. Gotcha. That's what's well, good. I mean, yeah. So yeah. Um, because there's a lot of people who, you know, haven't had the time to read this. I mean, I literally just published this and it's basically available for free online. So good for you. Um, that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah I so, go yeah, into most interviews as the guy in the street, unless it's something I kind of already got a background in or something like that. I, I don't do any research as a rule. Gotcha. Right. Well, yeah, it's a good way to go into it, to go into it fresh. Um, but another yeah, synchro, we were talking today about how the Bible is probably a collection of scrolls and stuff and not like the <laughs> word of God. Yeah. I, well, yeah, kind of. I take that approach in some ways that it's like these are like attempts at history to to an extent by a, kind of a group of people who didn't have science, you know, and probably who are taking hallucinogenic drugs. So all of these reports that they're giving us about what's happening, I mean, you've got snakes coming out of staffs and you've got burning bushes and the voice of God. I mean, so it's hard to parse, but once you throw in the, the idea that these people might've been using hallucinogens, you suddenly are able to explain a lot of these weird things. And it's really, I mean, it's, uh, to me, it's really interesting. And I, I tried to show as much of the things that I could explain in some way um, and just offer it as an interpretation and see, you know, maybe people will try and poke holes in it, maybe not. But, um, you know, the idea is to show an, a kind of alternative version of history that, and basically I kind of start from the premise of, basically the premises of Terence McKenna, which is kind of an important point uh, uh, with this book. Um, I start with basically this idea that Terence came up with, the stoned ape theory, which I know you guys are familiar with, and probably everybody listening to this is probably familiar with it. Uh, but um, it's basically, if you have this evolutionary group of hominids in, in Africa, it's a pretty reasonable assumption to think that they'd go to Egypt and then to Sumeria and to Israel, and that this is just naturally where this group would migrate. And so if that's the case, then, and if Terence is right, then this mushroom cult that he talks about should be in the Bible. It should be there in some way shape or form. And so I kind of take that assumption and I just go through the Bible stories and I basically uh, kind of riff off of what's written there and, and show different symbols that, uh, that might be related to mushroom symbolism. And there's a lot of interesting uh, verses that haven't, I haven't really seen recognized yet in a kind of public way. Um, and so that's the reason why I put this book together to make it just as condensed as I could to show all of this different mushroom symbolism yeah, that, yeah. that really s stuck out to me, even as an English reader, you know, I'm not reading the Hebrew versions or anything. I'm just reading it in English, yeah. but, but, um, yeah, it seems like there's lots of interesting points, um, of congruence there. So do you think um, it points more to the Bible mentioning a mushroom cult or the Christianity foundations being a mushroom cult? <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, so the Bible doesn't just mention uh, mushroom cults. I mean, it is a mushroom cult. It's a, so it starts with Abraham at about 2000 BC. This is kind of the earliest kind of historical point that we can pinpoint. And then from 2000 BC on, you have all of Abraham's sons propagating what starts as the Israelite religion. And then that goes for about 2000 years to the time of Jesus. And then it turns into Christianity and you kind of have this fracturing um, so, uh, but in that kind of, in that old 2000 year period, there's like, there's not, it's hard to understand what was happening in that time because you don't have like Roman sources and you don't have Greek sources. And so basically all we have is the Bible for that time. There's a few other things like, you know, there's Egyptian hieroglyphs and there's Sumerian cuneiform, but the Bible is really kind of one of those really solid old documents that we have that says what happened at this time. And, 
you know, just because of that, I think it's it's kind of worth taking into consideration to some extent as a kind of serious historical document. And when you do that and you and you kind of include Terence's thinking and this kind of more psychedelic understanding that's that's definitely more emergent now than it has been. When you incorporate that into looking at the Bible, it's there's so many different uh, points of connection that that show that this was a, basically a psychedelic culture that had priests who were taking mushrooms, and that's basically what Moses was, and uh, informing governments essentially, uh, and that this was the basis of the formation of governments and the formation of uh, of culture, even of uh, of megalithic building, which Graham was talking about earlier. How um, does that? Um... Because so many, sorry, I got COVID in my throat. So many aspects of the, of Christianity seem to be, you know, blatantly taken from paganism, which like, how does that, so are we talking about kind of a sect of pagans that sort of get into the mushrooms and get a little culty and because it does seem, I mean, I, the draws, I mean, lately I've been calling myself a pagan because I just kind of like it. And it just seems like more, I don't know. I haven't heard that yet. I, the, I got a sticker upstairs. I got a sticker upstairs that just came in that says "Proud Pagan." <laughs> oh my god! There you go. Yeah. Um, as far as Christianity is concerned, um, yeah. I mean, the, really, the old Israelite tradition. I mean, it was a pagan tradition. It was a pagan Middle Eastern tradition, which people don't really think of the Middle Eastern religions that way. But they had their own kind of pagan religion as well. Um, the Canaanites and the Sumerians had their own gods. It's kind of pretty similar uh, to the whole Viking thing. And I mean, pretty much what you see all over the world with, you know, South Americans and all that, where there's a kind of multiple gods around that represent these different principles. Um, so, but I mean, really the kind of religious substrate of the Middle East going back into the ancient world, I mean, it, it was pagan. I mean, it's what it was. And that's even what was in the Old Testament, um, for example, um, with King Solomon at about 1000 BC, uh, you have these accusations that King Solomon was worshiping foreign gods uh, of, of other tribes, basically. The priests start making these accusations against King Solomon and, and saying that, oh, he was, you know, worshiping these other pagan gods. I mean, he, they're basically calling him a pagan. And he was like this divine king. It's kind of interesting. Uh, you know, it's not this necessarily Puritan kind of religion that we think of it as. You know, it's it's if you look at this in a, in a scholarly way, it's very different than than what you might expect if you you know go walk into church and hear a story about the Old Testament. It's uh, because I mean, there's very likely the the role of hallucinogenic drugs going on in this culture, um, and we can get into some specific details if you guys want me to kind of go through things a little bit. I yeah, can, I mean, I mean, I, I do want to touch on at some point whether your theory about Solomon Solomon's temple being Baalbek. So I don't know if yes. that has anything to do with the way they were talking about him or, or accusing yes. him of that type of thing. Or, well, unless, that is related. Yeah. And we can, we can just jump into the Baalbek stuff. We don't have to go through too well, much. Well, no, stuff. I kind of want to go through the, the other stuff too. But Before we get into that, you. I'm just wondering, because I'm, I'm just thinking of my buddy, Dave Matheson and, and yeah, all his books about, uh, cause he's kind of, he takes the Bible in a different direction where he thinks it's all tied into the stars. And I'm just thinking, sitting here thinking, why can't it be both eating mushrooms and staring at the stars? And Sure. Yeah, right. Yeah. I think there's a lot of different interpretive angles that you can go at it from, for sure. Yeah. There's astrology involved. There's all kinds of different symbolism involved. Um, but were, were they regularly used by the profane or was this just people that were 
in the know, you know? Right. That's, that's an interesting question. Um, so the Bible has a few references uh, that seem to indicate, at least in the early time, that it was for everybody, uh, So, which is interesting. Uh, later, it becomes kind of for the priests, and it becomes for the people like in the know and who are in charge of governing the society, who are in the temples and doing all of that. Um, but uh, in the time of Moses, you have uh, this reference to the manna. Uh, this yeah, is uh, yeah, I, wanted, I wanted to ask you about that too. It's yeah, it's an interesting. It's, uh, it's very interesting uh, piece of scripture. It's Exodus, I think, fifteen or sixteen. I think it's sixteen. Um, and what basically the, the Israelites describe this food that rains down from heaven and it comes in a fog, and uh, and it just appears out of nowhere. And this is this becomes their food. It becomes the bread of the Lord. This is the way that Moses describes it. Um, and the Israelites at this point had just left Egypt, so they were a nomadic population, probably living off of their cattle, uh, living in tents, and in a kind of fertile wilderness territory, because back then, this whole Middle Eastern area would have been a little bit more fertile, uh, wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been as dry as it is today. So, yeah, the Israelites at about, I mean, the estimation is something like uh, 1500 BC, wandering around in, in the northern part of Saudi Arabia. Uh, which is a tropical climate, and they have this fog all around them. They're in a fertile territory, and they have their cattle, and their cattle are pooping all all around them. And basically, this seems, I mean, this, the scripture sets up all of the conditions for growing mushrooms, basically. Uh, you have the natural climate of in a tropical region. You've got the fog. Uh, you've got the cattle pooping everywhere, creating the nutrients for the mushrooms. Um, and then the Israelites describe this magic food that comes from the fog. It comes out of nowhere. They don't know how it, how it came there. And it's white, and it grows like hoarfrost, which is very interesting. Uh, that's very similar to the uh, to how mycelium. Of, yeah. yeah, you show yeah. some pictures in your book about that, which is great. Yep, yep. And there's a lot of yeah, there's a lot of pictures in the book that will show you this more detailed. Uh, but essentially, they give all the conditions for mushrooms, and it sounds very clearly. I mean, for like a whole chapter, they just describe this stuff, and it seems to me it's very clear that they're talking about about mushrooms. Yeah, which I've always thought mana means magic or inherent the ability for magic or pulling magic out of. Right. Yeah. The there's a couple of, or something. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a couple of different traditions that seem to use that word. It's very weird. Um, I think you know even the New Zealanders use mana for like magic. They use right. it in that sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's it's like kind of widespread. It's it's very strange. Um, uh, but yeah, it's it's used as this kind of magic or honor or something kind of you know subjective like that. But I've got a picture uh, on my phone right now of some psilocybin mushrooms growing. Just when they start and they just turn into that white hoarfrost looking shit right before they start looking like little mushrooms. Right. And it really does look like hoarfrost. I suppose I could screen share that if you guys want to see the image on the yeah, book. Sure. Yeah. yeah, it always makes me wonder if if it's if it's they're really, really tapping into what people tap into nowadays, like the future or they have uh experiences with entities and other things. I mean, how much of that psychedelics experience is is responsible for these religious mythologies and or or mythologies in general with gods and demons and I mean, precisely. You know, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. That's or, I think. Or, or are they tapping into just reading the future, like you know the uh, more the psychic aspect of it? Yeah, it's it opens up a whole lot of questions about like you know what it means, you know. But you know, once you start identifying the 
the presence of these substances and you know these allusions to these visionary experiences, uh, you know, it's a it opens up a whole new interpretive lens for looking at the Bible, and that's kind of the big reason why I wrote this book is because I think there's an opportunity to look at the Bible in a new way and to look at uh, the traditions uh, of basically Judaism, Christianity, and Islam in a totally new way that's basically consistent with the 1960s, uh, because that seems to me what the, what the real culture in the Bible was like. It, there were these wandering nomads uh, who liked music and arts, and I mean, and they took these drugs. It's, it seems to me like that the 1960s had this strange cultural parallel to these kind of indigenous traditions uh, from the Middle East. And but that's also, kind of where the pagans were at, too. I mean, their whole religion is kind of based upon having a good time, and you're here for the gods' entertainment, and don't take yourself too fucking seriously. Yeah, yeah. So it makes yeah. sense that if they were getting transformed into the Christianity, that, you know, a certain sect of them would be like, fuck that. Yeah, it becomes very legalistic over time. You know, the the gods have these rules, and they keep making more and more rules, and you have to follow all the rules, and it's just— at some point, it just like it becomes impossible to you know to to live up to it, and that's like that's one of the reasons why Jesus kind of comes along and basically says the Old Testament law is abolished. You know, you just have to believe in me. You know, it's too complicated. Don't worry about it. I mean, again, Jesus is too is like a total hippie figure, and you know, it's been depicted countless times. You know, this guy in sandals feeding the poor and doing all this. I mean, he's healing people. Uh, yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. It's just an interesting way to look at the Bible and, and think about this. And really, it gives you some kind of argumentative tools for uh, talking with fundamentalists to say, you know, have you considered the possibility maybe that this that this religion is a drug cult? Uh, you know, how would that change your perception of what this religion is, you know, and how you live your life according to it? You know, uh, because if this is true, I mean, this is a pretty, you know, if this if the Bible is predicated upon the use of hallucinogenic drugs, I mean, that's kind of a, it's a really, uh, it's a, it's a kind of a big deal. You know, it's, it, it'll change the way that people think about this. It, you know, if it's, um, if it's adopted in some kind of wide scale fashion, it, um, and I, I mean, really uh, to me too, it justifies the kind of integral kind of, um, evolutionary role of these substances, when we find them in all the religions of the world, it seems to indicate to me that Terence was really onto something. Terence McKenna was really was really cl- uh, touching on the on the nerve of something when he identified this as an agent for evolution. And they might be important for us culturally, socially. Uh, it might be an important part of you know just figuring out how to you know how to live our lives and kind of you know think about things correctly. And a lot of people have these positive experiences with these drugs where they they're able to reflect in a way that they weren't before, you that, know, that's the part that I have to hard time wrap my head around is how not only in the Bible, but other cultures like South America. And I think you mentioned a couple other ones in the book that people may have used this before battle or to like almost as a yep. performance enhancing thing for battle yep. or even during sacrifices. I mean, how, right. how can you, you know, I just can't imagine tripping out and being in battle or, or watching a, you know, a, a, an animal gets sacrificed with blood everywhere. I mean, that would be the weirdest fucking trip. It ever. would be. I mean, you know, for uh, we're thinking of enlightening people, and the way we, right. we picture it is give everybody, you know, psilocybin, and uh, it'll make the world a better place. But these people might have been using it in negative ways as well. Yeah, and I mean, it was 
yeah, back then, especially, I mean, it was kind of savage. I mean, you know, it was, it was. And what does that do to the consciousness or what does that do to the potential for magic? If you're using it for an evil purpose or or not even evil, but just violent. Right. Right. And you have in, in, in the middle East too, you do have some like kind of vegetarian cults and groups kind of emerge. Some people think that John the Baptist might've been a vegetarian. Um, and also, uh, Pythagoras actually in Greece, I think was a vegetarian as well. So you have these, these sentiments that are kind of this kind of pacifist nonviolent thing too, in the middle East, there's it's pretty diverse environment. There's a lot of different interpretations of, you know, of, you know, what's, what's a good life. And, you know, for some people, for some of the old, the old Testament Israelites, it was, you know, going to war and conquering your enemies. I mean, that's what, that's what their whole lifestyle was. And, other groups were were more pacifistic, like with Jesus, for example. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, the, I don't think these drugs necessarily qualitatively do anything, but, you know, it, it depends on the person that's using them. You know, it really does. It's You can channel this, uh, the kind of central nervous system arousal that these drugs induce into, you know, into maybe just having a lot of sex or maybe it's, um, maybe it's fighting. Maybe it's uh, just making really great art. Maybe you become obsessed with some kind of, artistic endeavor and you just get really good at it uh, it's, you can channel this this kind of energy into a lot of different things you know um so hopefully the idea is too by studying this you can also learn from you know how maybe being barbarous and kind of savage and being warlike might not always be the most advantageous way to live you know and you can and you can learn from the mistakes of these old cultures by studying them and looking at how they use these drugs um, in the case of the Israelites, and this goes back to Solomon a little bit, um, Solomon kind of seems to be this kind of peaceful king that doesn't really go to war, and he uses all of, basically all of his power to organize these big uh, public works projects uh, in the Bible. At least that's what the Bible says. A lot of people don't believe even that Solomon was real. There's there's more reasons to believe that he's real now than there was maybe 20 years ago. Um <laughs> There's, for example, there's a, I think it's called the Tel Dan Stel, or Stella. Um, it's it's a it's a tablet that talks about a King David, who is Solomon's father in the Bible. And it's dated to approximately the right time that David should be around. Um, so that was a big kind of archaeological find that seems to substantiate that, well, the characters in the Bible might actually have been real kings. They might have been real people. Um, which is really interesting because the environment that's described in the Old Testament is pretty advanced. I mean, Solomon, for example, is in command of a workforce of 150,000 people, according to the biblical narrative. I mean, that's a pretty huge amount of people. Um, and according to the Bible, we get, we get a list of all these places that he built. Um, one of them is called Balath, which I think is is basically Baalbek, Um Another one is called uh, Tadmor in the Wilderness. I think this is Palmyra. It's a very, they're both extremely rich uh, ancient cities. Um, but but essentially, Solomon seems to be using these psychedelic drugs too. So it seems that there's a, a capacity and a possibility of using this for peaceful, kind of constructive and artic- artistic, ultimately, kind of um, ends. It doesn't have to be that this is used for war divination, as yeah, it was yeah. used in some times, but it could be used for artistic purposes as well. Yeah. You know, so. And it's got to be hard with the timelines as well, because it seems like some of the, you know, there's so much 
that aligns with, say, the Bible and Sumer and the Bible. And so some of these stories might be regurgitated and regurgitated. So, I mean, trying to find yeah. that timeline of when some of these historical figures, because I'm of the same mind. I don't, I like I was saying before, I think it's more that you've got a collection of, of scrolls or whatever that's been found and maybe sort of put together in a different way for nefarious purposes or not nefarious purposes. I mean, they seem nefarious. That's, but regardless, right. it seems like it's been sort of hijacked. I come from that side more than the it's all made up side. Right. Yeah. But that being there's said, definitely... There, there's definitely a lot of it that's been taken from earlier, earlier cultures as well. Right. Yeah. There's, so there's that whole aspect of, the borrowing from previous cultures. And then later things kind of get kind of mixed up by these political interests of people who are assembling these books. Um, and yeah, both of those things are a factor in kind of muddying the water. You know, if you look at a lot of stuff, it, you can kind of figure out how to see through different areas. And I hope my book kind of helps people to do that too. Oh, yeah. If you read through the, in order, you can kind of see through different areas. You can kind of see where, Oh, well, this really makes a lot of sense, you know, cause this was happening here. This was happening there. And this, this really seems like it should be happening here. Um, so you mentioned, you mentioned the, the environment around Solomon after David, was that about 2000 years BC? Did you think? Did you um, say? so during Solomon and David are between about 1000 BC and 900 BC. Oh, okay. So after yep. Thera, I was wondering if that had something to do with, uh, because you mentioned Thera as well and like San, the explosion of Santorini. Yes. Was that, was that supposed to be 1600 BC or something like that? Like, I mean, that, that, that right. could have destroyed that whole area too, really. I mean, that would have yeah, would have made yeah. massive climate change with that. I mean, massive. Like, I, 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 I can't remember. I wanted to look at what happened at that time frame. Did you see any changes in the culture and changes in that, that whole thing? Right. The Thera eruption. Um, I kind of follow uh, a kind of biblical scholar by the name of Simcha Jacobovici, um, really interesting guy. Uh, he's a Jewish guy that does a lot of like archeological kind of research in the middle East. And he has a TV show actually, that's pretty cool. It's on YouTube. Um, and he recently did an amazing documentary with James Cameron on Atlantis, uh, which is really, it's a really good watch. I, I think you guys would like it. Um, but, uh, anyways, this, uh, so Simcha, kind of came up with this interpretation that the eruption of Thera basically uh, preceded all of the miracles that are described at the time of Moses. So when the Nile turns red and then you have the, the basically the, the fire hail that comes down on Egypt and this cloud of darkness, I mean, this, this could have been caused by the kind of massive eruption in, in the middle of the Mediterranean and this cloud of, of, of this hail could have come up down over Egypt. And there's a few other things uh, that I leave in the book um, that explain how this kind of eruption would have caused this chaos in Egypt and probably all over the Mediterranean. Yeah. I mean, that and wasn't, that's not far from Egypt, right? I mean, it's a short little jaunt over it's to, not too over bad. to yeah, Alexandria. I, I mean, yeah. And the, apparently they've done some analysis and there's this whole, like, this cloud detritus that's kind of, they kind of measured how far this cloud went all over the middle East and it goes into Turkey. It goes into Egypt. Um, so Alexandria is in Egypt, that. isn't it? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Oh, like, okay. but Thera, Thera is in, in here in the Greek islands there. Right. So Dude, look at how shallow all that is. I know. There. I like, what about 300 Atlantis. feet less? Where's right? the Azores like, fit into all well, that? Well, no, it's right on the, uh, right on the left. It's just past the, 
It's up, up the, the little north, northwest Aren't from that, Azor- right? Or, it's a little no, northwest the from Gibraltar, the right? Yeah, but they're just not they're, far, the they're not far, right? And then you got shit like Doggerland. So when's that? When's that happen? Doggerland, yeah, I don't know. I've looked at that too. I have no idea. Around uh, you the know. Doggerland time time frame. Yeah, I don't know. That might that might be beyond my my scope, but. <laughs> Yeah. So um, right. don't worry, everything's beyond my scope. No, no, no. no. <laughs> um yeah, so I don't know. So Thera seems according to Jacob Avici in this really interesting documentary that he did called Exodus Decoded as well, uh basically he says Thera probably caused a lot of these this chaos in, in Egypt during the time of Moses. And what Moses would have done is he would have leveraged this and said, look, this is all caused by my God because you're the Pharaoh's an asshole. So, you know, you're being punished by God. And this was like, you know, some kind of psychological warfare on, on the Egyptian government. And it seemed to have worked. It, I mean, it's one way of looking at the story and it makes sense in this kind of really naturalistic explanation. You don't have to like use magic really to explain that, you know, it's, yeah. Yeah. it would make sense. Now, didn't yeah. you mention that Atlantis in one of your theories in your book was from Western Spain? There's a few, Which well, there's is, a lot of isn't speculation. Isn't that close to the Azores? Ooh, my buddy Randall Carlson's going to fight you on that one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Randall might fight me on this. That's that's all right. I, I, I like Randall. Randall's cool. Um, but uh, so there's a lot of different interpretations. Like Randall says, the Azores. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. There's another guy uh, who thinks it's in like the southwest of Spain, um, in the kind of ancient kingdom of Tartessos. Oh, that's season. what it was. Yeah, Tartessos. Yeah. Yeah. Tartaria, baby. I'm no, telling you, different. man. That's I'm different. falling. <laughs> Tartaria. Yeah, Tartaria's over yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I'm driving yeah. my girlfriend nuts, telling her everything's fake before 300 years ago. And I'm sure she thinks <laughs> I'm going off the fucking deep it. end. <laughs> I love it, dude. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm starting to think that whole Pompeii was something different. Oh, the Pompeii we got is where hit they, with some fucking at, rocks from at. space. Yeah. Everything got fucked up, and the elites took over this motherfucker. Could be. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. I never read a book. Yeah. Um, it would be a novel. So then you're, so you're, you're, I thought I read something in your book about Atlantis being in southern Egypt or Saudi Arabia. It's, uh, in the in West Africa, essentially, West Mauritania. At South, oh, West Africa, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Th- this is also another pretty popular idea. So, a lot of my my views aren't aren't totally unique. I just I take a lot of popular ideas and I kind of s- scramble them together. So yeah, that's yeah. kind that's, of what I'm doing with love, the book. That's what we love here. Yeah. So, I I take the whole recot structure approach to the Atlantis, which supposes that the recot structure might be partially man made, kind of. Uh, might be an ancient city from the Sahara uh, because uh, again, so this um, there's, a, there's this, I guess I, I should pull up some images here. This will just explain. Let's do that. Yeah. If you guys so just want to see the images, you listen to the podcast, you want to see the images, head over to the YouTube channel, yeah. find yeah. the video titled uh, Adam Drusilli. Did I say that right? Is it Drissy? Drissy. Drissy. Yeah. Yep. Drissy, Drissy, it doesn't matter to me. It's whatever. Um, okay. Sorry, my heater just kicked on. So that's I'm sorry. Okay. Now we can deal with it. Okay. All right. Um, all right. So I'm going to scroll through and try and find these images. So the recut structure is basically. I don't think you're sharing it either, but just so you know. Yeah. 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 I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll click on it once I find it. Okay. Because it's scrolling through my my book pages here. 
Okay. I'm like five seconds away from it. Five. Four. <laughs> sorry. Dead air. I'm, it's That's dead okay. air. I'm sorry. It's my fault, man. Yeah, it's my no, fault. No, no, dude. Okay. No worries. All right. Here we go. I think Atlantis uh, was the whole world. Yeah, maybe. Eh? Yeah, the whole world before the mega flood. Oh, yeah, that's it there, right? Yeah. So how's that? Okay. Yeah, that's good, yeah. Okay. So this is a picture of the Sahara from space, I think. Um, now, this is a pretty huge structure. I can probably find one with measurements if I scroll up a little bit. Is this your book we're looking at? Yeah. Great. Yep, this is my book, yep. Yeah, so it's about 35 kilometers across. So, I mean, you know, oh, that's wow. a jog. Was yeah, that an impact it, crater? No, no. He's saying that some people think this is partly oh. man-made or it could be Atlantis. You know how you see that circular Atlantis mm -hmm. city-type structure, which you also have a picture in there of somewhere. Right. It fits. It kind of fits the Critias uh, and Timaeus from Plato, which I know you guys have talked about quite a bit with Randall. Um so, but the problem is, is that it's too big. It's, it's much bigger than what's in the Critias and Timaeus. Um, it, so, you know, it, it's, it's, I don't think it's not as much as 10 times bigger, but it's close to about 10 times bigger than what the original Atlantis would be. But what's interesting is that you have a very similar structure. You have a larger island in the center and then you have these rings that go around the outside that seem to be somewhat faded. They might have eroded over time, you know. Yeah. Uh, hard to say what might have happened. Looks like it's been, it's been covered up as well, probably. Yeah. Yeah. But there's also these mountains to the north, and this is described in the Timaeus and Critias. So it's a really interesting possibility, especially because this is in the Sahara. And that's one of the reasons why I find this location to be attractive, because... You know, Terence talks about the evolution of human beings in the Saharan grasslands, so you'd expect there to be some big cities around here, uh, some ancient cities. Um, we have Egypt to the east in Africa, and that makes sense, right? I mean, these hominids evolve, and then they go to Egypt by this fertile uh, river valley, essentially. They start agriculture. You probably had some people go west and settle on the coast, and this might have been coastal territory back then. It's hard to say exactly you know are you thinking before the flood like before the uh, younger dryas or right right so this may have been submerged at some point and uh there may have been water all around this is there I, is there any way you can turn your heater off do you think um actually i don't, I don't know if i don't know I if darren can. i don't know if darren can cut that out but it's yeah. kind of it's coming or maybe turn your record levels your uh, mic level down a little bit Sure, I think? can try to do that. It might. Sorry, yeah, yeah I can't no, turn it okay. off. It's okay. it's automatic. Let's see if that'll help a little bit. If maybe it'll. Oh, settings. Um. Okay. Yeah, I can turn my volume down. Yeah, I always wonder what the 300, 300 feet less water. Four hundred. Four hundred. Well, is it four hundred? Is it is that the Mediterranean too, or just in the Atlantic uh, Pacific sea Atlantic? level? Does sea level change? I mean, not everywhere. Level, like it didn't level? affect the whole globe, right? So, what do you mean didn't didn't affect, affect the whole globe? Like it didn't affect the no, whole globe. So the sea no. just rose on one side. Yeah. Um, is that any better? Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's, we can live yeah, with it. It's, it's, okay. it's a little better. So, yeah. No, no, I want to get back to this to see just so it's like when I fill the bathtub up with no, water. No, it's not can a bathtub. The, the earth's not a bathtub. Oh, okay. 
It's it not a basin. Just, so the ocean just doesn't go, fill into a basin? It doesn't just go up everywhere. So I'll tell you how it looked. 400, when, when the oceans were 400 feet shallower, everywhere, no. probably the continental shelf was the coastline. Continental shelf. Is that working? I don't know if it's oh, better. Oh, that sounds or not. Yeah, fantastic. That's, yeah, that's way better. Yeah. Oh, great. What'd you great. do? I, Shut um, off the heater. <laughs> I did suppress background noise. So oh, that, that'll excellent. Work. That's a yes. Yeah, that's a good little trick. That there. is fantastic. Okay, Write sweet. that down. So, yeah. what, what'd you do that in? On your computer or in Zoom? In Zoom, I guess. I just oh, yeah. Wow. Okay, so hey, well, I know. you just taught us a little trick for the trick for the show. Hey, I'm learning here too, so that's and great. teaching. Yeah, this is my first show, so cool. Um, oh, that's good. I didn't know we popped another cherry. Yeah. <laughs> right on. Um, Graham's got a necklace. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's that. Uh, yeah, so anyways, I kind of settle on the recot thing. Uh, I, I know Randall's uh, interested in the Azores. I mean, I'm open to whatever it might be. Well, like you know? Darren was just saying, he thinks it could be the world, like the world pre-Younger Dryas. And the and the, sure. all the legends that come down and all the morphic resonance of people picking up or on a past civilization, like oh. it's just all over the place, you know. Maybe there's a little bit in the Azores with 400 feet less water. This was probably open. The you know the the Azores. Who knows if you could have just gone there with a well, here's a canoe instead the way to of look at way it out in the middle of nowhere. Is to consider right. what was habitable during the worst parts of the ice age. Exactly, and that's yes. where yes, any exactly. civilization that existed would would have been. been. Yeah, which right. is which is the Mediterranean and I mean, the Sahara. I think. Right? Yeah, and the Sahara yeah, totally. and the Azores. Like you were yeah. saying, the Sahara back then was probably gr grass, right? Yeah, or that's. Green, I mean, that's green. what a lot of people think. It was a grassland, had rivers, lakes. Um, yeah, and, and yeah, so that, and this is how Terrence describes it in particular, and I think it makes sense. I mean, especially if you have an ice age and you have these huge glaciers over the north and south. How come, um, how come it can't be Rome? Uh, how come Atlantis can't be Rome? Is it because Rome? are the sources pre-Roman? Uh, Atlantis? Yeah. Yes. Do uh, the Romans well, talk about it at all? Because the Romans seem to have a pretty awesome thing going on that, that it took a really, really long time after their demise to replicate. Like 1,500 yeah. or 1,600 years. Well, uh, as far as the Romans being... Um, Atlantis? I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I I don't know. It seems like Plato says that it would have been a long, long time ago. You know, he gives he gives the year from Solon to be some what is it something like ten thousand years ago. So that that would definitely be before Rome as and we I'm, know it. I'm ignorant on when Plato existed too. To be honest, like I don't know what the Platonian timeline is. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I just be, as part of writing this book, I just kind of forced myself to like try and memorize as much of this as I can. Yeah, so, great. so when is Plato? Yeah. Are we talking like uh, thousand BC, maybe something? Like thousand that? BC? I, is he alive then? I think it's about in the five hundreds BC, yeah. give or take okay. hundred. Yeah. Give or take hundred. So, I'm, not, I'm so not totally sure. Technically, that should be pre-Roman. Uh, well. Yeah, some people say that, well, the Roman kingdom started earlier, uh, you know, as early as the Iliad, if you go by certain records, uh, you know, but that's very speculative still. But I don't, I try not to discount any of that stuff out of hand because, I mean, I take the Bible as historical, so it might be the case that the Iliad is also historical, which Iliad might be 1200 BC. 
um, which is, you know, the story of Troy and the sacking of Troy with the Trojan horse and all that. Um, that you, you might have seen that movie, that Hollywood movie with Brad Pitt. In it. Oh, yeah. I, I, I love that yeah. scene where he oh. runs in against the big Goliath and just stabs him right down the right down right in here. Right. right I love that neck. movie. No touching. Right in yeah. the neck. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so so that would probably been something like 1200 BC. So even by that standard, you're going back to Troy and Greece and and the Greece coming across and all those boats to start a war. Even that is like light years ahead of where we are in a thousand in a thousand AD. Uh, it it might have been it, it might have been, and that's in what, an interesting what respect. In what respect is in you go to like 800 to 1000 BC and we're building shit out of wood with straw roofs again and we're trying to fix up old Roman architecture and we're kind of half using that wherever we can. But we're also writing in the historical record how we think the Romans were gods because we don't understand how they built the things they built. Maybe they stole it from somebody earlier on. Yeah. Well, that's what, go, that's, that's my theory on the, the that there's a real possibility there. But my theory was more that the priests stole it because they the the conventional thing is that Rome kind of got caught up in its own degeneracy, and then Catholicism or Christianity or whatever came in, and that just sort of they lost themselves. But I'm more of the thought that Rome's just fucking rocking it, and shit, some sort of cataclysm happens. And then some culty priests find it and start saying it's theirs, or however that plays out. Like, like I don't know. Not but too it's long ago, like, like a few hundred years ago. Or? Oh, I don't. I'm not saying that. I'm no, not no, going no, but, there. No. But I'm just saying, like, I don't buy that Rome declined because of, mind you, there is precedent today <laughs> for, no, for empires declining. Yeah, it's an interesting question, though, that you're touching on, you know, but why did Rome fall apart? And because you know, it seems harder to make that happen when you don't have fucking phones in everyone's hands and mass media. Yes, it, it seems like a miracle when you go and you look at these megalithic sites, you know, whether Romans built them or whoever the hell built them. You know, how did some of these things get there? It's I mean, it's 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 unbelievable almost Baalbek, Palmyra, and there's tons of places throughout Greece and Rome as, as well, too. And like you were saying, they haven't even remarkable. really dug down too deep uh, in Baalbek, I don't think, to see how far, what's underneath it, right? Because um, couldn't there be some structure some areas, underneath? In some areas, yeah, that's the case where, um, particularly in the city of Jerusalem about 100 years ago, there's a photograph that I can, I can show if I can, let me see if I can search it through the document quick. Um, I'll call it. My search function's not working right. I don't know why. Give me two seconds. Yeah, no problem. What's it? What's what? What would I search on it? I'm I'm on your book in in your website as well. It's uh. So here we're looking at the western wall of Jerusalem here, and that's the dome of the rock behind it, right? Which is what where they say Solomon's temple was or is, right? Right. That's one of the views. Uh, this is, yes, this is where they claim that, you know, this was where Solomon's temple was and the Crusader Knights were all over here. And, you know, it was kind of switching hands between Muslims and Christians. And this has been kind of fought over for a really long time under, under this idea that, well, this is the city of David. Supposedly, Jerusalem was the city of David. And so everyone kind of naturally just assumes that, well, this is where King Solomon's temple was. It was here um, in Jerusalem. Uh, some interesting things about Jerusalem, though. Uh, 
despite this kind of notion of Solomon's Temple, we'll get to that though, we'll get to that, um, is just the, the megalithic style of building that you find on the Western Wall. I mean, the blocks on the Western Wall are just completely huge. Um, and I, uh, I hope I have my other picture here somewhere. It's not, it's not there. It must be up a little bit, yeah. Bye. Yeah, I don't remember. Um, I wish I would, when I was in Jerusalem, I wish I would have paid more attention to some of this esoteric stuff a little bit more and less on. Uh, uh, so you had, you had gone to, to Jerusalem. clubs and stuff. <clears throat> right. Well, hey, that's kind of, oh, that's fun too. Why not? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, it, so was a, it was strange uh, being there with all four quadrants and all the different peoples there and the mosques. Uh, all through the night and the day. Oh, is that it? Yeah. There? Is that it there? That picture? Yes, this is the image yeah. I was looking oh, yeah, for. Okay. Yeah. So sorry, this is taking me so long. No, Anyways. no, no. It's all fun. It's good. Yeah. So this is um. So this is the Western Wall, and you can kind of see in this one image how it's what built you have upon, on the, built upon different layers. Yeah. Yes, you have several different layers. You have these huge megalithic blocks on the bottom layer, and then they get smaller, and there's mortar between them on this top layer seems to indicate that there was a different culture that built this bottom layer uh, than the one that basically added to the top of it. Um, I claim that this this bottom layer, now, if you ask an academic historian or an archaeologist, you know, who built this, they'll tell you that it was the Romans. That's what they'll say. The Romans built this wall. Uh, I don't think that's true. I think that, I think that this wall was built by King Solomon's labor force, because in the Bible, it tells us that King Solomon had this huge labor force, and one of their jobs was to build the wall surrounding Jerusalem. And this would have been the old wall wow. of Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're saying Roman in uh, like around uh, AD, like a couple hundred AD type thing. Rome, Rome's like, and, yes. And, 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 you, and you're saying Moses, a thousand BC type. type thing. I'm saying, yeah, I'm saying. King Solomon, nine hundred to a thousand BC. Yeah, uh, it, Rome's at its glory, scholars, like one fifty BC, probably. Is it at the height of its glory? Rome, I would say, yes. yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Oh, so, earlier than I thought. Okay, I thought I always pictured it as AD by hundred AD. It's on the way. Out. Oh, I always yeah. picture it. Okay. Hmm. Well, allegedly. I mean, I mean, I don't know. I'm just going by the fairy tales I get told. Exactly. I mean, I mean, in a, in a vague sense, the Romans were coming into this territory in this area about you know, 150 BC, and that's when they were kind of expanding. And then they they really had a hell of a time in, in Judea, though. Uh, they they had all kinds of insurrections uh, against the against the tax people, and this is a huge theme in the New Testament as well with Jesus. Uh, but Jesus takes this very pacifistic, peaceful approach. He's trying to build a kind of peaceful environment. This region had been plagued with war since the Romans invaded it. Um, and, I mean, the Israelites... The indigenous people seem to have put up a pretty good fight against the Romans. They, there's all these different records of this. I've only looked at some of them. I'm hoping to do more detailed stuff on this newer, later stuff. Uh-huh. But um, yeah, but it, I mean, so it seems that, the, that there is an indigenous population here that was in control of these fortresses before the Romans show up. I mean, it's, so it seems to be the case. And it's reasonable to assume that that, that that would happen because, I mean, the Bible tells us that they were building fortresses. There's... I don't see much of a reason to to not believe them, especially when we see these differences of architectural style. There's a lot of other reasons that we can go through. Um, in some cases, you know, some sites might still be buried, and this is something that we were just talking about. But here in this old image from the 19th century, you can see late 1800s, you can see that 
the Western Wall was almost like totally buried. This this megalithic section of the Western Wall was just almost completely buried uh, with dirt. So there might be other places that are like this in the Middle East, where if you dig down a couple of feet, you might find big blocks um, underneath the footprints wow, of, of, fascinating. of buildings. Yeah, and uh, so and here are some other fortresses that have the same thing, where they have the very uh, it's called ashlar masonry, where the geometry is very good. Uh, it's like a sheer face. The blocks are stacked together perfectly. And in Megiddo, you have the bottom layers are, have these ashlar blocks. And on the top, they seem to be repaired with these kind of cobblestone and mortar. Uh, different architectural style. So again, it seems that this might be an ancient site that was repaired later. And it seems like there's probably a few different places like that scattered around the Middle East um, and there might be wrongful attributions to the Romans, particularly in the Middle East. Mm. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of reasons for this. Uh, there a lot of classical scholars in this area have been, you know, have always asserted that, you know, Europeans had to have started civilization. I mean, it just has to be that Europeans started civilization. It can't be that the people from Africa or Asia started civilization. It had to come from Europe. And so they designate all these structures as being Roman or Greek or something that Europeans identify with. But if you ask indigenous people in these regions, you know, they'll tell you Solomon built the wall of Jerusalem. They'll tell you Solomon built the temple of Baalbek. That's what the local people believe, according to their oral traditions that have been passed down. Solomon's and, temple is Baalbek. Yes. And that's, that's another area that we can look at a little bit. There's a few reasons to believe that, that I think are pretty compelling. Um, the simplest one is that, again that the local people believe it you know so you know that's that's one very easy oh that's a good view right it. that's a good view right there for perspective yeah yeah this is yeah i was looking for this image too so this is perspective of the western wall of jerusalem to give you an idea of how big these blocks are uh you know how heavy do you think what do you th so what's the i think the the general formula is like 180 pounds per cubic foot yeah, um, yeah, I think that sounds right. Uh, I have no idea. I couldn't, I couldn't eyeball this. I don't know how deep they go. Um, but I mean, a couple thousand pounds, you'd think. I don't know. It seems like it would be that. Well, much. the thing I, is, if they don't go deep, it'll start fucking. Um, like I'm in construction. If you don't properly foundation or pile or compact, I mean, compacting's not enough. I think he meant depth. Well, though. that's what I mean. If yeah. you don't do those things deep enough, your temple fucking sags and falls over. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that was probably one of the big reasons why they built with these huge blocks is because, I mean, you just set it down and it's not going anywhere and it, you know. Well, that's what I mean is it, is it will go somewhere is if you haven't dealt with the ground underneath and compacted and somehow or, or somehow or dug it out like what we do nowadays is we dig a we drill a hole 40 feet deep, put an I-beam down there and fill it with concrete before we put anything on top of it to make sure that right. we're down someplace that we're not going to sink when we put, I mean, the pyramids are a perfect example because you've put so much weight there. The fact that the no corner of that or middle or anything has started to dip is, is pretty amazing. That is. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, a lot of this is pretty remarkable. It's hard to, I mean, I don't really have an explanation for it, but what I can say is that it seems that according to the Bible, that these somehow these these archaic people knew how to do this um, and put it together. And I'm guessing that they would do something with the foundations. I mean, for example, uh, well, actually, we can look at the Western Wall Foundation, which is really close to this image. We, ju we did just look at it. 
Um, but I think. But I think generally I would agree that the Romans were still, you know, it's interesting. I watched a documentary my buddy Bill Loby sent me a while back that was kind of went through how the, how the degradation from the Egypt. Now this documentary was kind of all based on that. It's all concrete. It was all some sort of weird geopolymer concrete they were using. And it, right. it kind of went through the degradation of it, how the Egyptians kind of had it perfected. And then the Greeks and the Romans, you could kind of see the the effects of the technology sort of trailing off through the years. And like the sort of, and that those pictures to me could show the same thing. It could be, yeah. They could have known how to do some kind of geopolymer uh, concrete. For sure. It's that, got those little notches in it and stuff. It looks just like a fucking form. Yeah. This one especially, definitely. Yeah, and this is um, a foundation stone at the Western Wall. So. Of, of, of Baalbek? Actually, in Jerusalem. This, this one is in the Jerusalem. Wow, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it is, it's, it's, I mean, it's one of those huge foundation stones, very similar to Baalbek. I mean, so it's kind of, it's not unreasonable to assume that kind of the same culture would have placed these objects there. Because, I mean. Totally. You know, it, it, it makes some sense. Um and so, yeah, that one Baalbek, to me, big time looks like it had a bunch of form work on the side of it that they just stripped off after. Yeah, this one totally does. It really does. Yeah. Which makes the but, timelines come into question even more for me, because then it's like, well, if that's like 50,000 years older than you think, then maybe concrete that, I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. But then they find that big stone in Baalbek that they're actually excavating in the middle of excavating and it was just left there. So that doesn't yep. seem like it was poor. Were, at were all. they it excavating just, though, or was might... it buried, or was it? Well, that's the other thing is there's you can oh, yeah, find the quarries yeah, too. No, but yeah, the, the no, quarries, there's a bunch yeah. of evidence where they find the quarries that these things were cut out of too. Right. Yep. At Baalbek, you have the stone of the pregnant woman. Yeah. So it seems like they've been cut out of the mountain. You know, but at the same time, it's just like you know, how do you move this? It's really interesting logistical questions and. All you the know, mushrooms I, in the world ain't going to help you move that rock. Well, unless you, unless you, you know how you can see the atmosphere a little yeah. bit in mushrooms. I mean, maybe you can then start chanting in the way that the monks chanted and figure out how to, you know, lift them up. I mean, Who I still knows, don't, I still don't know that there's Who some knows? resonance, there's some resonance thing that is how they're moving those. Could be. It could be. You know, or, maybe, I mean, it could be brute force too, really. I, I mean, if you got... So. If you got 10,000 people, you know, 10,000 people who can lift 250 pounds, I mean, you have a pretty, like, I mean, you can move a lot of weight if you have a ton of people working on it at the same time. And using pulleys, you can help that along if yeah, you have good equipment. Yeah, but yeah, my problem with that is, again, comes down to your foundation. So, like, my if you try and roll a 250-ton block of concrete down the friggin' highway, I don't know what you can roll it on, because I think if you, like, threw it on some concrete rollers, I think they'd just crush down into the asphalt. So, I mean, so it's like, you to think you were doing that, that on sand or dirt or something just seems fucking impossible to me. It would, they would just sink down into whatever medium you're trying to roll it across, especially well, if it's a, a fucking desert. There's an interesting video of this one guy. Yeah, you guys might have seen this on. I've it. seen the, the, the rocking, the rocking the back walking. and forth. Yeah. There, yeah. 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 So they might have used just like these weird. They might have been really creative with using levers, basically. Yeah. yeah. It, it, you know, uh, I. It, it, that's that's my kind of 
if I were to guess how they did it, I would say they had a really creative way of using levers and pulleys, basically. Yeah, maybe they uh, stand them up. Maybe they all pick them up, they stand it up, and then they, they yeah. just juke. It they gets just, weird, though, in the like they just inside yeah, the they Great just... Pyramid and stuff like that, where they're like building like rooms now, and maybe. The Great Pyramid, to me, is like a whole different story, because that, that's just crazy. I have no idea about that. Um but as far as this is concerned, I, I could see Baalbek maybe being built by a large group of people over like a 10, 20 year period of time. And that's what the Bible says as far as how long uh, it took to build Solomon's temple. Um, I can explain one interesting part about the, the Baalbek thing that uh, I haven't really seen anywhere. That's kind of interesting. If I can go back to the beginning of this chapter. It'll, I'll have some cool pictures to show. Okay. Yes, yes here okay so it, so one of the reasons i think that this might be solomon's temple is because these structures the the greek and roman names of these structures uh, kind of have these israelite equivalents which is kind of interesting so the the main temple is called the temple of uh, of jupiter uh this big one here it has the six columns that are left standing um this would have been the temple uh, of yahweh uh, or it would have been the Temple of Zeus to the Greeks. But what I think is happening at these sites is that the Romans and Greeks are renaming these sites after their own gods that are very similar to the <laughs> yeah. original yeah. Israelite gods, that are very similar. So here at the Temple of Jupiter, this is the Temple of Yahweh that Solomon built, and it took him like uh, 10 years to build it, basically. I think actually it took him seven years to build uh, the Temple of Jupiter. Now, if you notice... All that's left here are columns. Um, there's not really any stone walls. There are these, like, this kind of castle wall around the side, but there's not a huge stone wall around it. Um, it's, it's built out of pillars. And the Temple of Yahweh in the Bible was made out of, out of pillars, and it was encased in cedar wood. So, you know, if, if there was a Temple of Yahweh somewhere, we would expect to find a site that only has stone pillars and, and no cedar wood left. And that's, that's kind of what you see here. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's possible. Uh, second one is the Temple of Bacchus. This is in the same complex. And this would have been Solomon's governing palace. Uh, in the Bible, it says that Solomon built his governing palace in Lebanon. Um, again, Baalbek's in Lebanon. So it's possible that this could be uh, Solomon's governing palace where he had his kind of uh, court officials organizing the, the labor force and the distribution of food to all these people, uh, that this is the governmental kind of headquarters of the Israelite empire at this time. Um, and so it, it's very much possible. And they named it the Temple of Bacchus because uh, Bacchus was a god of, of wine drinking and revelry and dancing and music. And Solomon was this poetic, artistic king. So instead of naming it the Temple of Solomon, you know, which was a with the Canaanite god in the minds of the Romans and Greeks, they said, well, we'll name it after our god so that these people start worshiping our gods and we're in control, we're in power. Is that the uh, same as the Acropolis? Is that, it looks just like it. it it's, it's very similar. Yeah, the, this form is used in a lot of different uh, temples. The Acropolis of Athens, there's a lot of different places uh, that kind of use a stone structure and they have the pillars around the outside. 
That's like nicer than anything we're making today. Oh, I know. It's just it's <laughs> disgusting what we're making today. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it so interesting how amazing? It's so amazing. I think these buildings. I want that to but, just be like the supermarket or something too, you know, and like the real good shit not? got trashed. <laughs> yep. Oh man, you should look at. Uh, we should uh, maybe I can pull up a picture of Penn Station. Penn Station was uh, where Madison Square Garden is today. Um, it was this beautiful, uh, amazing uh, train station that was built in the classical style. You're going to see some images out wow, here. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm, see, yeah. this gets back into that Tartaria stuff where I'm wondering if we just found that shit here and took it over because that's nicer than anything we're building today. I mean, I don't know. Maybe we can still build that stuff, but I see no evidence of it. Maybe you're right. I, I don't know. Uh, it could be. But I, I don't know. So does that, um, does that go into the some of the stuff even in Canada with the parliament? Yeah, Tataria says the parliamentary the, buildings and the Washington D.C. stuff and all that all, shit was there already. Yeah, but so it's not you, as old either because the Tartaria stuff says they 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 stole it all like five hundred years ago. So were you saying that were you going to say this a weird was, theory? Were you going to say I, this I, was destroyed then, or somebody in the chats is saying uh, why was Penn Station destroyed? So it's no longer yeah. like this. Yeah, it's uh, so it was turned into Madison Square Garden. Uh, you know, uh, the oh, big like stadium. this literally was turned into the stadium. This spot, yeah, that's this spot. That's yeah, weird, they yeah, demoed really... that to build Madison Square fucking Garden. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, dude. See, we don't. That's New York, I guess. Huh? We don't deserve it. You know, isn't that funny? Yeah, we, we don't deserve to build stuff like that that's still around in a while. It, it would be a real. It's because Madison Square Garden is going to be gone in about fucking fifty years. If it was like stop maintained, I bet you it would last maybe a hundred years. Yeah, right. It, and this stuff is like, I mean, you have like the Temple of Bacchus, like we were just looking at, and it lasts like so long, you know? So you have to wonder. Um, yeah, it's it's amazing that these people were able to build this stuff going in, that we really, we have such scant records of who built this, you know, that to the point where you have to like do all this interpretive work just to try and figure out who might have built it. It's really something. Um, and I guess I can share this last example here. We have the temple of Venus. Um, and what's interesting about the Bible is that, uh, the Bible says that King Solomon built this, um, this house for his wife, uh, who was the daughter of the Pharaoh of Egypt. Um, and it was a palace apparently. And I think that the Temple of Venus was named after the house that Solomon built for his wife. And the descriptions in the Bible seem to indicate that uh, the Temple of Bacchus and the Temple of Venus had this kind of stepped uh, kind of porch, is what they call it in the Bible, that leads up to a place where a throne would have sat. So, um, and, and both of these structures have this, the Temple of Bacchus and the Temple of Venus. And the Bible tells us that Solomon's temple and the wife of and, and the temple of his wife, uh, they were both, um, they, they both had this terraced porch on the inside. Mm. And, and, it, and so that's one other piece of evidence there that it, 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 it's not entirely unreasonable to, to make this uh, assertion that this could be the, what is being described in the Old Testament. The question then is, how did this get forgotten? And that's, that's what the question becomes. And the reason goes back to what we were talking about earlier about Solomon being accused of um, of worshiping uh, pagan gods. Now, this is built in Baalbek, and Baalbek has been a kind of central headquarters of this of the cult of Baal huh. in the in the ancient world. 
And this was a very interesting decision for Solomon to choose to build the temple of Yahweh in this place. This, because uh, this this was a phone. This was really a Phoenician territory, um, and Solomon actually had Phoenicians helping uh, train his workforce, uh, according to the Bible. Uh, so Solomon was somehow integrating his the Israelites with the Phoenicians, and he was maybe in some ways even appropriating parts of their religion. Uh, the priests accuse him of worshiping their gods. And so that's why they would wipe out the name of, of Baalbek and, and the actual location of Solomon's temple, and, and they would move it back to Jerusalem. And this is where they would build the second temple. When they rebuild the temple, they'd build it uh, in Jerusalem away from, from Baalbek uh, because this is where all the Canaanite pagans were uh, who essentially would— 300 years later, they would rise up and they would destroy the Israelite empire. So this might have been, you know, Solomon's attempt to build an integrated society, but over time, uh, this group became very hostile to the Israelites and took away their, their, uh, their empirical authority, I guess. Uh, so it's an interesting reason for, for why this would have been forgotten, why the priest would have wrote it out of the Bible, basically, is because this was a, a foreign god's uh, cult in, in the land, and Solomon was perceived as being blasphemous to Yahweh wow. uh, by building this. Uh, yeah, so that's a, that's the interesting uh, dynamic at play. He got slagged uh, for going with the old pagan gods. Got canceled. Yeah. And, and there was a bunch of those There's early Christians that were... And a bunch, cancel culture. Yeah, a bunch of those early Christians that were coming over were still like, you know, they were just thinking that, well, the Christian, he's just a new God. He yeah. just adds to the, to the pantheon of gods. We got a question in the chats asking sure. about, what about them rebuilding a new Solomon's temple? It seems like some people in power are involved with it. You know anything about that? Yeah, so there's, there's this whole move today in Israel to, well, to rebuild the Temple of Solomon. Um, and I think the idea now... Uh, in our time is to build it in Jerusalem because that's where, well, that's where the second temple was built. So, and the third, wasn't there three? uh, Well, the the one that they want to build now is the third one. Oh, okay. I thought there was already three. Right. So the idea is that there was a first temple that was built by Solomon. My claim is that it was in Baalbek. Other people think it might've been in Jerusalem. Uh, You know, you can make your own decision on that. I might want to read the book to before you totally knock my view on this because there's a lot of information there. But um, it looks great. So, it looks very well put together with all the pictures and everything. I did my best, man. I did the best that I could. Um, so thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, but um, yeah, so essentially, what ends up happening is the Israelites get exiled into Babylon, and then eventually they return, but they return to Judea and they build their temple in Judea. And this then becomes the headquarters of, of the Jewish people. And they're kind of one of the last tribes uh, that remains in the land. All the other tribes get scattered to the winds, and we don't necessarily really know where they are today. Uh, there's guesses and stuff. But um, essentially what ends up happening is they build the second temple, and then the second temple gets destroyed by the Romans. And so now it's a kind of big part of the Jewish faith where the, the Jew, uh, Jewish people want to build the third temple and to rebuild Solomon's temple and to establish a place of worship again. And um, the idea is they want to do it uh, in Jerusalem because I think they think that's where where it was. And 
the second temple was definitely there, I think. Uh, but I'm not totally convinced that the first temple w was there. There's a couple other reasons for it. You have, for example, Solomon leaves his chariots with a, with a king in Jerusalem. And you ask this question, well, why is Solomon leaving his chariots with a king in Jerusalem um, if he's the king of Jerusalem? Shouldn't, you know, it, it, there's all of these questions that get asked. And also, when they uh, do the inauguration ceremony um, with the Ark of the Covenant, uh, the Bible says they brought the Ark of the Covenant out of the city of Jerusalem to the Temple of Solomon. So why would they bring the Ark of the Covenant yeah. out of Jerusalem yeah. uh, if Because Solomon's cancelled. We don't talk about Solomon around canceled. here, all right? Fuck that guy. And that doesn't make sense then. Their narrative doesn't make he's sense He's a fucking anymore. racist, and he's a misogynist. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, so I'm sorry, Solomon. Been, I don't want to get yeah. sued by any Solomon people. I was just making a joke. Yeah, yeah. I might uh, have but just there's always been this, these political tensions, you know, um, different interpretations. But I'm not trying to knock anybody's view on this. I'm just saying this is maybe it, a maybe, possibility. I mean, it could be because he had like 59 wives or something. I mean, that could be it. Well, not only that, I mean, we were just talking about how the Christians are like stealing Christmas and Easter and all these other pagan stuff. Why not grab Solomon too? Yeah, well, it seems like Solomon was, was borrowing from... From the Phoenicians, actually. And the interesting thing about Solomon, too, is that his mother uh, might have been a Hittite, which means that she would have been an Anatolian. Uh, yeah, because that's, David, so, that's all. Like, so Anatolian, where is that? More like in Turkey kind of area back then? Right, yep, oh, right okay. there. Okay, and then the Phoenicians is, is the Greeks going back to the thousands of B.C., right? Phoenicians are a mysterious group, uh, but we say... Generally, scholars say Lebanon, but the Greeks oh, okay. themselves. Okay. Yeah. But the Greeks also say that while the Phoenicians started our culture and gave us letters and right. taught us yeah, the yeah, arts, yeah, yeah. So that's not. I don't think that's a totally wrong opinion to have to say that uh, Greece was partially Phoenician. Okay. There, uh, because there's lots of ancient historians that and talk about. And it's also hard to just say our modern Greece because that could have been many different things back then. Wasn't the yeah. I, yeah. Where do the Macedonians fit into that? Aren't Macedonians the are interesting. Uh, yes. So Alexander the Great was a Macedonian, uh, most famous probably. Uh, the Macedonians are about 300 BC. And it's an interesting thing, too, uh, that people ask about. You know, people assume that, well, the Romans had to have built this because the Greeks and Romans don't talk about this. For example, when Alexander goes through the Middle East, he doesn't talk about Baalbek. We don't have any record of him coming into contact with Baalbek. Um, Interesting. So, so I looked through this a little bit, and um, there's, a, there's a historian, I think he's a Roman historian named Arian, and this historian writes about Alexander's campaign and where he traveled through. And what's interesting is Alexander kind of skips over this territory. He doesn't go to Baalbek. He goes to a lot of other places. He goes to the Phoenician city-states on the coast. He goes to Egypt. He goes to this oracle at Siwa. And he's on a horse. I mean, people got to remember, he's not ripping around in a plane or, you know, checking out. Yes. You're on a horse. You're on a very direct path. You can see about three miles in each direction. Yes, right. Yep. And so Alexander doesn't really seem to come into contact with uh, the temple of Baalbek. Um, but... But what's really interesting is 
So his big battle that he fights against the Persian Empire, um, he, uh, he basically, they go to war against the Persian Empire and Alexander wins. It's called the Battle of Galgamela. And uh, Alexander wins this conflict. Uh, but after he defeats the Persian uh, emperor, uh, Darius, Darius basically flees. And Alexander kind of uh, accepts the allegiance of all of his soldiers. And basically, Alexander becomes the king of Babylon. Um, but at this time, what Alexander does is really, really interesting. He appoints uh, the leader of, of, of this region, of the, of, of the region of Lebanon, uh, his name's Mosaeus, and he appoints this guy to be the administrative official that rules over Babylon. And this guy, Mosaeus, was a general who fought uh, in the cavalry of the enemy against Alexander. So Alexander basically beats them in battle and says, you did a good job fighting against me. You know, I'm going to give you the governorship of, of Babylon. <laughs> and so what I think this says, though, is that Mosaeus would have had experience governing a Persian city. And during the time of Alexander, this city would have become Persian. Right. So Mosaeus would have had a knowledge of uh, the, the Persian administrative language. And this was probably a flourishing city, and Alexander just stayed away from it because it was under the command of this guy who was fighting in the cavalry of Darius, and it was a fortified city, probably. And where, where uh, so, was that? What's Babylon in modern times again? I keep forgetting that one. Uh, this is um, in Lebanon. Yeah, uh, right. And it's, it's really fortified. It's between these two massive mountains, um, and Alexander doesn't really approach it. He does do one thing that's very interesting. He actually, apparently, he climbs up the mountain— and he just like looks over the other side and he comes back down. It's a weird thing that happens. Alexander basically climbs up a mountain and has this skirmish with these Persian soldiers and then just comes back down. It seems like he does it for no reason. Like it, it's a weird thing. He might have been trying to look though to see if he could see the city from the mountaintop. That's what I would guess at least if he knew about this. I mean, that's what I would do if I was, if I was traveling at that time. I'd want to see it. Because if there was, if this was around since about 1000 BC, there'd be all kinds of stories circulating about it. But if it was a hostile, if it was in the hands of the Persian Empire and it was like a hostile territory, then he wouldn't be able to bring his army there because they, you know, it'd be, I mean, it'd be hell to try and besiege this place because of where it's located. So, anyways, that's that's just that, there's a lot of interesting anecdotes that you can kind of pull together, and I, I do a better job in writing than and I, I mean, and, speech, and the but. mushrooms get, I mean, the psychedelics get into Alexander too, right? That whole thing, and I mean that. I so, think so. so your your entheogen part is is intertwined in all this history as well. Just for, uh, yes. to remind people yeah. that that's also part of this. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think basically what I think is that. This whole idea of, you know, why spend 20 years building something like this? You know, what's the point? Uh, to me, this had to be like some kind of visionary experience had to kind of take possession of somebody to, to do something like this, you know, to invest the amount of resources into building something like this. And I think that this is, a, I mean, these temples and the kind of beautiful artwork that you see at these places, um, it, it's, it's a... It's an attempt to externalize the psychedelic experience in some way. It is an attempt to uh, to portray what it's like to take psychedelic drugs. It's got this floral geometry, um, which is basically, I mean, you know, kind of what you hallucinate when you take these drugs. You see all these patterns, um, of, of these, all these different kinds, and it's very orderly geometry. It's 
I think this is an attempt at creating a, an environment and a space that, that represents what it's like to take psychedelics and also probably a space where it's enjoyable to take psychedelics. So it's like uh, setting up Timothy Leary's set and setting, so to speak, you know, uh, where these people were creating these beautiful palaces and temples so that when they had these trips, they just, it would just facilitate their imagination. But I think, but they're engineering marvels too, though. Say into you know, in accordance with sacred dimensions. I mean, this is what's weird is it mimics yeah. nature in a lot of ways and these older structures, and it's not just it's not just somebody's you know spontaneous artistic project. Right. It's it's not. It's 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 well conceived and it's planned out clearly. You'd have to plan something like this. Um, but at the same time, I think what would probably I mean the way that you know, to to be an architect, even you have to have a vision of what you're designing, right? You have this idea of what you want to build, and you kind of you constrain all those parameters, and you draw a picture of it, and you say, the, you know, the pillars are going to be this tall, uh, this tall, and the ceiling is going to go this wide, and you, know, and you figure out a, all these parameters at a time when nothing like it exists. So, I mean, think about doing architecture for a building when you're sitting in it, when you're living in a tent, right? Well, and that's another question, too, was, you know, well, maybe this architectural style was actually around much longer. It could be the case that, you know, if Atlantis is 10,000 years years old, uh, they might have settlements all over the Mediterranean basin. Uh, this might just be like a more advanced version of, of older forms. Um, and I think that might be the case. I think uh, there's, a, there's a classification of these systems uh, of, of architecture the oldest, I think, is the Doric architecture, and it's just a very simple pillar and column. There's no flowers on it or anything. It's just really simple. Uh, I think that would probably be the first form that would be made, and then they'd elaborate on it and do floral things. But we have these ornate floral patterns here, if I'm right, at about 900 B.C. So uh, that's, you know, that's pretty interesting, and it pushes the dates back a lot further. Well, yeah. And it you know. lines up with that 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 just degrading technology sort of narrative, like that would put Solomon at the ter- tail end of when we're doing things like the Sphinx, and even in in Mesoamerica, we're doing some pretty amazing things. Right, right, yeah, exactly. Arguably yeah, more amazing than we can make today. I mean, even Chichen Itza, it doesn't look like much, but it's doing crazy shit on the solstice. And you go to the bottom and you clap your hands, and it's making that crazy sound, and uh, it'll blow yeah. your fucking mind. Right. I, Talk yeah, about a setting good. for psychedelics. Oh. Man, right. see some fucking psychedelics at Chichen Itza in the equinox. That'd be a great idea, but it's gonna get fucking trippy when a million people start trying to sell you little souvenirs and you're fucking peeking. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, that's how it is now. But back then, oh yeah, know, we should sneak in there one day. Yeah. When they're right. closed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're probably closed right now for COVID. So we go yeah, down. That's probably true. And have a mushroom trip. Yeah. There's a couple other things I want to I want to mention that you have in your book that sure. one, the expanding earth part, that you talk about the expanding earth theory, which is so how you intertwine that. And then also, you know, we talked to talk a lot about the Australasian into Africa theory as opposed to just everything coming out of Africa. Um yeah, I, mean, I don't know if you've heard of that or do you because I know you mentioned out of Africa quite a bit in there. Yeah, I'm kind of I, I guess I'm an out of Africa guy. I just I think it makes sense. 
But I mean, the yeah, the Australia. I mean, that, that thing. I've heard like Antarctica, Australia might have been origin points as well. I mean, it could be, and it might even be the case that you know, there, well, I don't know. It might be widespread. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm open to whatever. But to me, this is just the simplest explanation. I try to simplify this um, and give us a lot of facts and to put it into chronological order so that you kind of get this visionary experience of how this culture developed. Um, I like, I like Sebastian. It was definitely Sebastian. In the, mostly in the southern hemisphere around the equator because the fucking northern hemisphere was a giant block ice. Uh, Sebastian Payne in the chat says, like pyramids... Serapium, yep, Gobekli Tepe, Stonehenge, all built by the gods way before 12,000 years ago. Resonance devices for God knows what, maybe portals to dimensions. I mean. Yeah, who knows, man. (laughs) I'm I'm getting more and more close to that theory, too. Yeah, it seems that you can, it seems you can push these dates back quite a bit. Um, And there's a, there's a whole lot of reasons. If you have to, to because I think there's timeline problems. I mean, I, I you might too. not have to push that back so far if they're bl- actively blowing smoke up your ass. Uh, what, do you, what do you mean? If who's actively blowing smoke? Well, the institutions that tell us how, where we come uh, from or where our history comes from. Or, or to wear yeah. a mask. Or to, or to wear oh. a mask or whatever. Right. You know, I, well, it's they like, definitely are. I mean, I don't think, <laughs> personally, that's my opinion at least. Well, I because, know. I, you, you know, you, you fall into that thing where the, that gets back into Tartaria stuff, which is the stuff I'm just getting into now and I can't really uh, explain it, it well. But it's it's like this thing that, you know, BC, so just take like BC to AD and put that at like 400 years ago or 500 years ago as opposed to 2000 years ago. That's a little bit radical for my taste. Yeah. I, yeah. I, it's, it's a little bit radical for my taste, but I mean there's I think there is ways though that you know there is definitely something wrong with the way that uh, conventional academics interpret history, I think. There's I think there's definitely something wrong with the way that it's being done. I think that uh it, this probably accounts for why our society is so messed up and crazy the way it is today. Uh, you know, it, an incorrect understanding of what happened in the past is going to lead you to make all kinds of different mistakes. Yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. it's just necessarily going to happen. Um, and getting a more accurate picture of how, for example, how these societies organize themselves. How did they build this? You know, uh, were psychedelic drugs involved in this process? You know, if they were, you know. Who was using them? You know, how did they direct this labor force? You know, how did they use money? How did they? I ask a lot of these questions, and I try to answer them in some ways throughout the book. Yeah. Um, and and, it, and ideally, this gives us a kind of uh, kind of uh, framework for thinking about how to solve these problems today. That's and that's the reason. You know, that's one of the reasons why why it's worth I think taking some time to try and understand this. Uh, because if we can understand how these ancient cultures built Baalbek, then maybe we can understand how to fix some parts of our culture and our society today. You know, maybe we can't fix all of it. You know, maybe it's just too messed up. But, you know, maybe we can fix some things, you know. Yeah. And I mean, uh, even even putting the drugs into perspective, too. I mean, you mentioned poppies and opium and, they're mushrooms. and marijuana, they're too. Mushrooms. I mean, they have evidence. And they've, Why they've are got, we calling mushrooms drugs? They've got evidence. Of that now, yep. right? Physical evidence yes. going back thousands of years. Or I think it's thousands. I mean, I can't remember exactly how, but yep. I mean, right. I never thought right. that, that that they had that really, that they've got the, 
the evidence. Well, not only so. Here's and, the thing and, to and think if about: it was more prevalent than you think. I mean, we have to reevaluate how we treat drugs. Not I mean, only that, if you're eating mushrooms as food, you're probably not tripping balls all the time. It's probably more like a high level microdosing experience. And when you're eating, <laughs> when true. you're eating yeah. wet mushrooms, you're talking like a ten to fifteen to one ratio. So you right. need to eat a half ounce of mushrooms for every gram you were going to eat. Right. Yep. Or at least a 10 to one. So, I mean, it could be that your portion of mushrooms with dinner isn't enough to make you trip balls, but it's enough to give you like a high level. It's like eating a gram of mushrooms every day. You're just seeing the world in a completely different way. And if you don't, if you don't think that's possible, with then the, I highly the, recommend giving microdosing mushrooms a try, a try just for a couple of weeks or a couple of months and see how it resonates with you. Because most of the people I've talked to are on another level once they get into it. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people even say, too, one, one correlation to this that's really interesting, I think, is actually computer programming. People who work doing computer programming uh, really seem to have a certain affinity for these drugs, LSD, psilocybin. Um, and that's very interesting because, you know, writing computer code, I mean, this is a language function. You're, you know, you're, you're using language to kind of build these kind of virtual machines to kind of, you know, create buttons and do all this. Um, and so it's really a very interesting thing that, you know, these people are using these, basically these archaic drugs uh, for building this software uh, with language in the same way, I think that the ancient world, you had these priests that were taking these drugs to build basically legal infrastructure. They were, and they were using language to do that. They had rules and guidelines and all this. It's pretty much the same function as a computer programmer today. Um, and, you know, and so it's very interesting. There's this intersection between, you know, code and law and even religion here in this case. That's, that's kind of interesting, and this interesting role that drugs might play in facilitating kind of imaginative problem-solving. Um, yeah. yeah. And so, yeah. And so, connection to the divine, really. Sure. Yeah. You, yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely. You can say that. Yeah. Um, and, it, yeah, it's... I, I, try, I try, personally, when I'm in the book, I try not to go too much into theological, you know, religious statements as much as I can, because I want to... I want to explain, you know, how this is affecting the, you know, the environment of that time. But I think, yeah, it's it's a natural conclusion to be led to that there is some. This does connect you to some kind of remarkable divinity, divinity of some sort. I mean, and it's and it's my personal belief as well that this is what happens with these drugs. Yeah, I mean, and and you do yeah. you do have a lot of scripture in there too, right? To for examples. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I I quote a lot of pieces from the Bible, and I I do a few external sources here and there. But I keep it mostly within the Bible so that the idea is that I'm just trying to dispel a lot of these um, these misunderstandings about what, what the Bible's about and what's inside of it. There's a lot of misunderstandings about the Bible, that it's this strict authoritarian religion that's all command and conquer. But there's this very different side to this religion that's uh, very egalitarian, very justice-seeking, um, very noble, uh, very courageous and brave, uh, you know, and and it seems to be facilitated by the use of hallucinogens. And I think there's potentially a model here for the future of the psychedelic community where we can learn from, from people like Moses. We can learn from these people and um, and integrate, you know, there is an authentic spirituality here that was actually institutionalized in some way. And I think, to me, that gives me hope because 
then it's not just, you know, it's not just me and my trip, you know, if, if these psychedelic drugs can help us to come together and build a, a better society, to me, that's a, a very hopeful uh, uh, idea, you know, that these drugs might help us to communicate better. They might help us to build better legal systems, uh, better governments. Uh, you know, this doesn't have to be have to be some kind of private trip necessarily, although it's good for that too, you know, uh, but uh, it could help to, to elevate... The, the level of awareness in government. And it seems to be the case that that's what it was used for in the ancient world. Huh. Right yeah. on. And the book is yeah. called Eden and Entheogens. It's looking fantastic. The pictures oh. are popping. And you published it. And you've made it 100% right? for free, and it's free, uh, freely available. Yeah, it's free. It's on the uh, Internet Archive. You can look it up, Eden and Entheogens. Maybe we'll have a link somewhere. But yeah, I'll put a link in the show notes. Have you thought sure. about self-publishing a hardcover or something that people can buy just in case they want it as like a coffee table book or something like that? You know, I don't know. I, 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 it's, a, it's expensive to self-publish. you got to front money, and I'm not a, I'm not a rich guy. So I'll shoot uh, you an email. I'll shoot you an email after no, the show no, if no, you right. want. With, uh, <laughs> yes, so, I appreciate the offer. You know, no, no. I mean, comes... like we self-publish a bunch of books for free, and there's a couple oh. of channels you can go through. You can make this available sure. as at least a soft cover for no money. Oh, is that true? Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, yeah, we can chat about that, I suppose. I'll That's shoot you an email uh, later in the week with the, the process that we go through to do that. That would be really nice, man. Thanks. That's, yeah, that's and you, really you, nice you. through that same process, you could make it available as a free or a 99 cent ebook or something like that. And audio. Sure. Yeah. Audio would well, cost I, you a little bit, but. I think, well, the, one of the big reasons, too, why it's free is because I'm using a lot of like public images. So I don't necessarily feel right making a profit off this because I'm sourcing a lot of publicly available images and literature. And so basically by making it free, it's fair use. It's an educational tool for everybody. You know, I'm not making money on this. So this is just about, you know, providing information to people. Uh, so that's, uh, so I'm, that's why I'm not selling it uh, really uh, because, you know, it's, it's just better to do this under fair use. That, totally. that allows me to do all of this, you know, to show these images and to show people like what, what's actually happening Otherwise, I'd have to just use words, and I, I don't think it would be the same experience. So totally, totally, I get it. I just like I like books. The yeah. Internet seems yeah. so like temporary. Right. Well, I think I'm thinking about printing it and selling it, not at a profit, but just for the cost of materials. I'd probably do something like that. Uh, you know, that that would be nice to do at some point, but we'll see. You know. Right on. Well, we'll put the link in the show notes. Is there anywhere, if our listeners have questions for you, are you on social media? Is there any place they can track you down? Oh, um, I'm not really on social media. I've got a Twitter, but uh, I, I, I just it's a junk account. So. In the chats. <laughs> it's kind of, go into the chats. Oh, yeah, you're in the chats. So yeah, I'm in the chats. In the if chats. talk in the chats, you'll find me yeah, in there. I'll, I'll, put his chat so. name. I'll put his chat we'll, name in the chats. We'll or put I'll put his handle. chat name in the notes. Great, great. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Great. Um yeah, well, thanks again for having me on. Yeah, this thanks, was really... Adam. It was fun. So, no, this is fun. Yeah, this is a it nice. Was this is great. I might have been a little all over the place. So no, I'm sorry, no, 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 no. That's the, no, no, that's where we like to go. So it's, okay. it's just fine. <laughs> I mean, you, you could honestly keep. You could talk about this stuff for ten hours. I mean, it's it's. Yeah, you can kind of you know, go on with it. And yeah, just so, so people know, your book is a tome. It's like five. What is it? Six? How many pages? Six hundred pages. Six hundred. Yeah. yeah, close to six hundred. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, so it's lots of good picks and lots of interesting. You know, you got that whole chapter on a big chapter on the secrets of Solomon and the 
Atlantean <laughs> stuff. And oh yeah, that's, it's fantastic. Cool. Well, yeah, man, I'm glad that you, you, you liked it. That's really cool. It's yeah. cool to hear you say that. Thank yeah. you, man. Right on, buddy. Right on. All right, right. cool. Thanks for coming on the show. We'll we'll talk to you again soon, and we'll see you in the chats even sooner. Yeah, yeah, sounds good, man. All right, take care, guys. It's really fun. Bye. Thanks. And that was our chat with uh, Adam Drissy. What would you think, buddy? You, it was great. Fantastic. There was a story about, uh, I think it was Terrence McKenna's story about uh, ayahuasca and some journeys. Like He's even got some stuff in there. About some, for context, some ayahuasca, like the battle of the music, like there's a sort of an evil Quarandero or however you say that. And, uh, oh, yeah, they're sort of battling with that. the songs and, and it's just, and then they see this like rays coming out of this lady who actually finally approaches the elephant in the room that this guy is like sabotaging their trip and all that. And like she's rays come out of her eyes and do all this. It's just, it's just cool to, to hear the, uh, the stories, because man, what if they were doing that stuff back then? And that's like, that's a divine connection to who knows what, you know, uh, like the, the Ouroboros, the snake, all that stuff, mother ayahuasca, like, you know, DMTs in a lot of places, more, way more than I thought, DMTs right? It's in not everything. just, you know, it's not just. DMTs in everything and you have to eat another thing if you want to use it as ayahuasca. And somehow yeah. they figured that out. Yeah. And when you ask them how they say the plants told them. There you go. I know. So I would argue they're not drugs. Yeah. They're plants. Exactly. TMT is a bit of a like cooked down plant. <laughs> sort of processed. Yeah. But the mushrooms are. No. That's what I mean. I don't see how you can call a mushroom a drug. It seems crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah. Like calling a flower a drug. Yeah. This is what got us in this mess well, in the first place. Isn't a poppy a flower? Or? Poppy's a flower. Yeah. There you go. So it's a pot plant. Yeah. True. Yeah. All right, guys. We hope you enjoyed our chat with uh, with Adam. Uh, we had a bunch of people watching. So yeah, thanks for watching were, live. Yeah, chats were yeah. enjoying it. And uh, big thanks to Adam for coming on the show. His first interview. We appreciate it. Big. Uh, we we appreciate that he brought it to us first. We like to pop those cherries. Uh, big thanks to you guys for listening. Even bigger thanks if you're one of the few people who do choose to support the work over at America.ca slash support. You know, it seems like a free podcast, but it's technically not a free podcast. It's a value for value podcast where we just make all this show and we put them all out for free and you listen to them and you decide how much value they add to your day or your commute or your life or your week. And you head over to grimeamerica.ca slash support and enter that number and Everyone goes on. Of course, if you are in some financial hardship, which some people are right now, and it's totally understandable as the government exercises mass fascism, head over to the show notes. Graham does a great job in the show notes. There's a half a dozen to a dozen different ways in there that you can support the show that don't cost you anything. Review the show, share the show, listen to Grand America Outlawed, uh, listen to 13 Questions, review all the shows, share email, all the shows. Email. Email Graham, spam Graham, share the show wherever Socials. you can. If you're on any of the social media, you can share the show there before we get kicked off. You can join our social network, which is 100% decentralized and disconnected from any big tech connection. America.ca slash social. That's our Mastodon server, 100% self-hosted and cancel proof. And we got the chats, grammarica.ca slash chats. Of course, they are still currently hosted on Discord, but we are a couple months away from starting to populate the self-hosted chats as well. 
Well, it might be sooner than that. I mean, that if might they be kick us off, it'll happen though. sooner. Yeah. We're beta testing now and stress testing now. So we just want to make sure everything's ready before we pull the trigger. Yeah, join the chats, gramerica.ca slash chats, newsletter, gramerica.ca slash news. Those things are also important because if we get kicked off of all these things or canceled or anything like that happens, hopefully we won't. But the newsletter, the chats, the website, those are sort of the last lines of communication where we'll give you our new RSS feed, which is also self-hosted and cancel-proof. That's what we do with the support dollars if you find yourself so inclined. gramerica.ca slash support. Anything else? That's it. All right, guys. We love you. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next week. Honey, babe. You left behind the flowers I picked for you. Look at what you do to me. Look at what you do to me. I'm on rack. And I'm on my.